my wife had caught me talking to myself again. <laughs> Have you ever uh, had an argument with somebody, a fight with someone that left such an impact on you as an individual that you found yourself in the days, weeks, or maybe even months that followed, not just dwelling on the fight, but sometimes even like reliving it in your head, like playing it back and thinking about it a lot. I, I do this sometimes. For me, I call it the car fight because for me, uh, I usually start thinking about this kind of stuff like at the end of the day when I'm in my car driving home, my mind kind of wanders and a lot of times it wanders to some of these like altercations that I've had with other people where like I'm fighting with them and I'm thinking back on it. And, and for me, I'm not just reliving it, like thinking it back and playing it back. Sometimes I'm rewriting it. You ever do that where like you, you, you know what that person had said to you and then later you're like, man, I wish I had said this instead. That would have been so good. That would have gotten them. That would have been great. So I, I do this sometimes. Uh, the problem is that I don't always just do it when I'm alone in my car. <laughs> sometimes I accidentally do it when my wife is there. And uh, she'll catch me doing this partially because she just knows me that well. She's my wife but also partially because I'm just not a subtle person at all by any definition of the word. And so sometimes we'll be driving around and like, I'll literally be like mouthing words to myself and she'll look over and she'll catch it and she'll go like, what is happening? Uh, and then other times, I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but I like to talk with my hands a lot. And so uh, sometimes we'll be driving around and I will be having a silent conversation in my head and I will physically gesture as though I'm actually speaking to another person. And uh, it's just this obvious giveaway. She clocks it right away. And uh, so not too long before I started to prepare this message, this happened. We were driving around. I did something that gave it away. And my wife looks over at me and she goes, who are you talking to over there? And uh, I opened up. I shared with her a little bit. I said, you know, I'm thinking back on this, this argument that I had with this guy over two years ago. <laughs> Coming up on three years now, actually. It's been over two years since I'd seen this guy, and I was playing back this, this fight that I had had with him. And uh, I was a little embarrassed, partially because I'd gotten caught talking to myself. That's weird. And also partially because, like, I know this thing that I do is not healthy, right? Uh, I know that it's not good for me. I know that it's not a good thing to think about or dwell on. Um, and so I tried to get out of the situation very quickly. I tried to extricate myself. As we pulled up to our destination, I, uh, I said something really dismissively as I tried to get out of the car. Like, you know what? Honestly, it's fine. I moved on and I forgave that guy a long time ago. And some of you might be thinking exactly what my wife did when she stopped me from getting out of the car because she loves me enough to call me out when I need it. And she goes, uh, she says, are you sure about that? Because you just admitted to me that you spent the last 20 minutes of this car ride replaying this argument that you'd had with a guy over two years ago. She's like, that does not sound like somebody who's moved on or forgiven in any meaningful way. And then she just got out of the car. My wife knows so well how to call me out and then drop the mic and walk away and leave me thinking so that I will like ultimately agree with her. And, uh, and I did. I thought about it later and I realized that she was right. Uh, not only had I not forgiven and moved on, I frankly had a lot of work left to do in my heart as it related not just to that relationship, but if I'm honest with you here this morning, probably a couple others as well. Church, today we're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about forgiveness because we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we walk through this, we got to remember this is Jesus's guidebook to a life worth living, a life that ultimately provides real joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, peace and rest, all the things that our souls crave every single day. 
And Jesus makes it clear, as we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount, that the life that we want to live, that life, the life that gives us everything that we could ever want, that life is necessarily predicated on a posture and position of forgiveness. And so I tell you that story on the front end because I want you to hear this morning that as we walk through this together, as we are moved by God together, as the Holy Spirit hopefully convicts us together, I want you to keep in mind that we are doing this together. Right? I, I don't have this figured out. I haven't done this perfectly. I struggle with it every day. In fact, as I'm preaching to you this morning, I can think of not just one, not two, but three different situations just off the top of my head in which I'm having to daily practice this posture and position of forgiveness. And I know better than most that this topic can be really uncomfortable to talk through because inevitably talking about forgiveness kind of forces us to dig up and remember and think about some of the most painful situations in our lives. So I recognize that this can be an uncomfortable topic of conversation. But however uncomfortable it is, we do have to talk about it. We have to talk about it because Jesus actually mentions forgiveness not just once, but twice in the Sermon on the Mount, and he actually does it back to back. And when Jesus repeats himself, we know that we need to listen up because he's trying to make a point. So this morning, we're actually not going to start in this week's passage. We're actually going to start in last week's passage. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, um, it's the beginning of Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer. Okay, if you weren't here last week, we talked through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' instruction on how he wanted his followers to pray. So Matthew 6, 7, he says, and when you pray, and when you pray, how often are we called to pray again? I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago with Tim. First Thessalonians actually says that we're called to pray without ceasing. So immediately Jesus says, and when you pray, all the time, every day, second by second, moment by moment, every part of your life, when you pray, and then he says in verse 9, I want you to pray like this, and we get the prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've probably heard this before. Give us this day our daily bread, and this is where we land this morning, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. So Jesus says, when you pray, all the time, every second of your life, every day, I want you to pray for two things. Well, actually, more than two things in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in the Lord's Prayer, but two that we're going to focus on this morning. He says, I want you to pray for two things every second of your life. I want you to pray for forgiveness and for the capacity to forgive. I want you to pray for forgiveness and for the capacity to forgive all the time every single day. Now, frankly, I feel like I could just stop right there and we could just kind of like reflect on that, ruminate on that for a little bit because frankly, that by itself is already a bar that I know I fail. I mean, even right now, like second by second, he calls us to do this and I, I, I can't, I, I don't do that, right? A lot of us don't do that. It's convicting enough on its own, but Jesus actually follows it up, okay? And that's where we get to today's passage in Matthew 6, 14. This comes immediately after the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, for... If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in other words, he says, look, if, you're, if you forgive others, God's going to forgive you. And if you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. And it seems pretty straightforward, right? And I can already feel some of the tension in the room. Some of you guys are like hitting the brakes. And whether you're new here or whether you've been coming here for a long time, you need to understand our church actually preaches the message that God's forgiveness to us is free, 
right? And some of you are thinking that. You're like, wait a second. I thought that this was supposed to be like a free gift, right? Ephesians 2 talks about by grace alone, through faith alone. This is like, he forgives us without us having to do anything, right? But this verse seems to contradict that because he's saying in order to be forgiven, I have to forgive other people. And I actually don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say. Okay, Jesus isn't saying that your ability to be forgiven or your ability to be reconciled or redeemed by and from God in any way comes from your ability to be better, do better, or forgive better. Because if it did, we'd all be in a lot of trouble, right? Jesus is actually making a much more nuanced point here. What Jesus is trying to say is the kind of person who is truly willing to repent of their sins, who recognizes how far they once were from God, and the gravity of what it means to be brought close to him again, the kind of person who's undergone that kind of a transformation, that person will inevitably be the kind of person who forgives. Or, I feel like I could break this down even simpler, Jesus is saying, when you are forgiven by me, you're adopted into my family. Right? We see this kind of language all throughout Scripture, how we are men and women who are adopted into the family of God. And Jesus is trying to say, when you're adopted into my family... When you're forgiven by me, you need to understand my family's got some ground rules, okay? Your family ever have like ground rules growing up or maybe you've got some with your kids where you're like, we always make our beds first thing in the morning or we always eat dinner at the table together or, you know, no TV past eight o'clock. Like I don't, your, your family's got some kind of ground rules. Jesus says his family's got ground rules and one of them is simply this, my family forgives. So Jesus says, it's great if you want to say you're part of my family. I love that. I would love to forgive you, but you need to understand if you're going to really buy into this family, you need to understand that this family's got some ground rules, and one of them is my family forgives. My family forgives. And the really like awkward other side of this coin here this morning is that Jesus is saying, look, if you're the kind of person who consistently finds themselves in a position where they are unwilling or unable to meaningfully engage in the process of forgiveness, I got to ask the question, are you really bought into this family? Because now you know the rules coming into it. You know the rule immediately. This family forgives. That's a line that we draw in the sand. And, and if, if we're not doing that, Jesus is asking the question, like, are you, are you really bought in? And if you're not, can I get you bought in? Can, can you please engage in this process with me? So just to recap, Jesus is saying, look, every second of every day, all the time, I hope I'm driving that point home enough, every second of your life, I want you to pray for two things, for forgiveness and for the capacity to forgive. And just in case you missed it, in case I didn't make it clear enough yet, you need to understand that if you are adopted into this family, you need to hear this family's ground rules, this family forgives, okay? And so if you want to live the life that Jesus offers, Jesus is saying, if you want the kind of life, the kind of satisfaction and fulfillment that I'm offering, you need to get this down. We need to figure out how to begin to engage in forgiveness. And I'm just going to say on the front end, we're never going to do this perfectly, right? The call of Jesus on our lives is never to do it perfectly because he knows that's impossible. But the call of Jesus on our lives is to begin to engage in this process. And so the two questions that we need to ask ourselves then is, what is forgiveness and how do we do it better? What is forgiveness and how do we do it better? Because Jesus says we have to get it down. If we're going to be a part of his family, we need to figure this out. And you might be saying, Ben, I, I, I know what forgiveness is, right? I would actually argue, I'm not sure that we do. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is I'm not confident that we're all actually operating off of the same definition of forgiveness. Okay, for some of us, you know, your definition of forgiveness is maybe I still hate you, 
but I'm going to be nice to you next time I see you because otherwise it'd be too awkward. Like, I'm, I'm not confrontational. I don't want to talk to you about it. So I'm, I'm just going to smile and we're going to be nice and I'm going to say I forgive you. And like, that's, that's good enough, right? Or for some of you, forgiveness means like, I got to be best friends with you again. If you hurt me once before, we got to get back to a place where we're like tight because otherwise I haven't really forgiven you, okay? So, and, and I would argue that both of those kind of miss the mark a little bit, okay? Because they're focusing on the wrong thing altogether. So I want to give us a, a really simple definition of forgiveness. I believe that forgiveness can simply be summed up in two really simple words. And if you miss everything else about today's message, please do not miss this. The entirety of what I'm about to talk about next is just predicated off of these two words. I believe that forgiveness is letting go. Forgiveness is letting go. And maybe that sounds really reductive, or maybe you feel like that misses the point. So let me explain what I mean when I say this. The reason that I believe that forgiveness means letting go is that I believe there is but one singular call that has ever been put on our lives. Okay, you could sum up the entirety of the New Testament, everything that Jesus ever taught, everything he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount could all be summed up in just one call that he's put on your life and mine. And it's said a lot of different ways throughout the New Testament. We're just going to look at one of them. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You notice Jesus likes to do this kind of like paradoxical teaching that can kind of be like really weirdly confusing at first where he's like, if you do this, then this. But if you do not do this, then this. And it, the way that he phrases things kind of makes us go like, what's he trying to say? And really, I think the message here is simple. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, whoever would by his own strength by his own authority, would try to grab after the life that we just described, a life of real fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and joy and happiness, everything that we want. Whoever tries to do that on their own, they're never going to do it. It's not going to be possible. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses his life for the sake of God is going to find everything that his soul desires and so much more. Whoever loses his life, whoever loses his life, whoever surrenders his life, whoever lets go of his life will find everything that his soul desires, craves in the person of Jesus. The singular call that's been put on your life and mine is simply this, to lay down, to let go of everything that is us, lay it at the foot of the cross, and find something far, far greater in the person of Jesus. Find something far, far greater in the person of Jesus. And I would argue forgiveness is letting go because forgiveness is simply an expression of that call to surrender on our lives. Because while the call on our lives is singular, the way in which it plays out in our lives is obviously incredibly varied, right? So when we talk about letting God direct next steps, right, following God's will for our lives, what does that practically look like? Well, practically, it looks like us going to God and saying, Father, I'm going to lay at your feet every will, hope, desire, and wish that I have for my future. You get to decide what's next for me. Or when we talk about generosity, using our time, talents, and finances to advance the kingdom of God. What does that practically look like for us? Well, it looks like us praying and living out this prayer of God. I'm going to take everything that I own 
and I'm going to lay it at your feet. Not because I believe you're going to take it from me in one fell swoop, but because I recognize that without you, none of it means anything anyway. And forgiveness is simply when we go to God and when we say to him, Father, I'm going to lay down, let go of everything that is me. I'm going to put it all at your feet. And that includes the moments that I've been hurt the worst. That includes the moments that I've been attacked, that I've been personally insulted, that I've been betrayed. It includes some of the most vulnerable and painful parts of our lives, but I'm going to lay it at the feet of Jesus, and I'm going to find something far greater in God. So forgiveness is letting go. And frankly, I think that definition kind of forces us to explore how we do that better, right? Because now, if you're tracking with me, forgiveness is no longer just saying, I forgive you. Forgiveness is no longer just being nice to somebody that you secretly hate. Forgiveness isn't even trying to like force a friendship where there was broken trust necessarily, right? Forgiveness is now an intentional act of surrender on our part to God, surrendering to him some of the most painful and vulnerable parts of ourselves, and that can be difficult. So for the rest of our time today, I just want to talk about four ways that I believe that God has called us to forgive, four ways that I believe God has called us to let go specifically as it relates to forgiveness. And the first point is simply this. I believe we need to let go of our pocket change. We need to let go of our pocket change. So there's this story in Matthew 18 um, that Jesus tells to his apostles, um, it's a parable, a story with a lesson at the end of it. And uh, we're going to put the whole thing up on the screen. You guys can follow along. It's in Matthew chapter 18. You can look it up in your Bibles, make sure I'm not crazy. But I'm just going to summarize the story for us real quick. So there's this servant who owes his master a, uh, a comical sum of money. Okay, the Bible says it's 10,000 talents. And I know that doesn't mean anything to us. So just for like a point of reference, 10,000 talents at that point in time, it would have been like a number that the listeners of this story could conceptually grasp, but they could not really begin to understand how somebody would ever come to accumulate that much personal debt, okay? So it'd be like if Jesus showed up here today and he started a story with, uh, there was an employer or an employee who owed his boss uh, like $100 billion. <laughs> You're like, whoa. <laughs> like I, I get $100 billion, like I, I can think of that number. How does somebody come to owe that much personal debt to one other person? That seems insane. And that's kind of the point. It was. It was a sum of money that Jesus was making the point, this guy could not begin to pay back. Okay? And really, to make a long story short, the master just forgives the entire debt. He just lets it go. He says, I'm not going to come after you for it. I'm not going to make you pay it back later. And where I would normally have the right to take everything that you hold dear in this world into my possession because of this debt that you owe me, I'm, I'm letting you off the hook. You're good to go. Can we just for a second, by the way, like appreciate the, not like just emotional relief this guy would feel, but the physical relief this guy would feel? Like if you've owed any amount of debt before, uh, like student loan debt or um, credit cards or medical debt, whatever, I've owed baby debts in the past and have like stayed up at night thinking about them where I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't sleep. We owe money, and I don't know what we're going to do, what's going to happen. And if somebody had just taken those baby debts off the table and said, you're good to go, don't worry about it, I would have slept a little bit deeper than I had the night before. This guy, I got to imagine, 
is not just emotionally relieved, but would probably sleep, like really sleep, for the first time in his entire life, okay? He's just been given a free pass on like everything. So this guy, this servant, he goes out on the road and he sees a buddy of his, a fellow servant. And uh, the Bible says that his fellow servant owed him some money. And again, just for like point of comparison, uh, the amount of money that was owed between these two guys was probably like a few months worth of their, their pay which is not nothing, right? Like, let's acknowledge a few months worth of your paycheck. If you owed that to somebody else, that's like a good chunk of money that you're in debt for, okay? But focus on the comparison here because that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's trying to focus on the comparison between these two numbers. Because it'd be like if you woke up tomorrow and you had $100 billion, you won the lottery, you became one of the richest people in America overnight. It'd be like if you did that and then went out into the road, saw a friend of yours, Somebody that you used to consider a friend, and you not only harassed them for some amount of money that they owed you, but you physically assaulted them for an amount of money that now, based on your current situation in life, is essentially pocket change. It means nothing now because of how much you've been given, right? But that's exactly what this servant does. So he goes up to his friend, he harasses him. Bible says he starts to like physically assault him. He like grabs him by the neck and starts insisting that he get his money back right away. And when his buddy can't pay, Servant one sends servant two off to debtor's prison until he can pay back the money that is owed him. Well, word of this gets back around to the master, okay? And he's not happy. So the master calls servant one back into his chambers and he goes, okay, wait a second. Like, let me get this straight. I gotta hear this. I just let you off the hook for $100 billion. I gave you your life back. I could have taken everything that you loved, I could have made your life miserable for the rest of your life and I would have been justified in doing so. Instead, I let you off the hook and then I find out that you go out into the road and you start attacking this other dude over pocket change? Are you kidding me? And ultimately, the master sends the original servant off to prison until he, can, he too can pay back what is owed. Now, I hope the message here is coming through loud and clear, but just in case it's not, let me say it out loud so we're all on the same page. Jesus is trying to make a point. He's saying, guys, you don't understand what you owed to me was an astronomical sum of money. Okay, because of your sin, what you owed to me was insane. And obviously, it's not actually money. We're talking about, we're dealing with like the comparison between money and a spiritual reality. But Jesus is saying, because of your sin, because of your betrayal to me, what you owed to me was so much that you could not begin to think about paying it back. And in Jesus' case, he's saying, not only did I let you off the hook for it, I've actually come back to pay the debt myself. It's not just that it's being forgiven. Somebody is paying on your behalf, and it's me. And so what Jesus is trying to get across here in this story is he's saying, look, I want you now because of everything that I've forgiven you for, I want you to walk through this life as though you are owed nothing at all. I want you to walk through this life as though you're owed nothing at all, recognizing that God has forgiven you of everything. So we need to let go of the pocket change. And by that, I mean this. We need to let go, surrender, place at the feet of the cross whatever right we believe we have to collect on whatever emotional debt we feel we're owed. Jesus says, walk through this life as though you are owed nothing knowing that I have forgiven you of everything. So we need to let go of our pocket change. We also need to let go of our identities. 
So we need to let go of the pocket change, and we need to let go of our identities. I want to look at another passage here in uh, Matthew chapter 10, I believe it is. Uh, Jesus is talking to his apostles. He's about to send them out to do the work of ministry on their own. So most of the time, they followed Jesus around seeing what he did. And occasionally, Jesus would kind of like release them and say, hey, I want you guys to go try this yourselves without me. You've seen how I do it. I want you to go do ministry. And this is, these are his instructions to them. He says, and proclaim as you go. By the way, proclaiming or teaching something means living it out yourself. So he says, I want you to go tell other people and internalize this message yourself. Proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's kind of unfortunate that this phrase has been co-opted by some of the, um, I'll say, stranger members of our society. Because like, I think as you hear that phrase, a bunch of you got a picture in your head of like a guy with a megaphone on the side of the road and like a sign with a bunch of burning letters and he's screaming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for some reason he sounds like a pirate because that's what I made him sound like. And, uh, and, and, and it's, it's, this phrase seems kind of like distant from us because it's been taken by so many other people when really the message is really beautiful. Jesus says, I want you to go tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, I want you to go tell other people and internalize this message. The God of the universe has chosen and desires desperately to draw close to you. God himself has decided to draw close to you, and now nothing is the same. Everything's different. Everything's changed. They no longer have to live in their brokenness. You no longer have to live in your sin, because now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God desires to be an intimate part of your life, and when God shows up, everything's different. And then Jesus says to them at the end of the verse here, and this is what I want to land on with this point. He says, you received without paying, now give without pay. Some translations say, freely you've been given, now freely give. Now obviously that phrase could probably apply to a bunch of different areas of our lives, but I think in the context of what we're talking about today, it'd be pretty fair to say that this could be translated as, freely you've been forgiven, now freely forgive, as a matter of identity. So, Jesus is saying, tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everything's different. Nothing's the same. Everything that they once thought and knew about themselves has changed. And what's the principle he wants them to live by? Freely you've been given, now freely give. As an identity, who you are now is, by definition, a forgiver. Birds fly, fish swim, you breathe, and now because of your renewed identity in Jesus, now you forgive. The same impulse and immediacy with which you breathe, blink, and wake up in the morning, that is the way in which God has called you and I to engage in this process of forgiveness. So no longer do we forgive out of convenience. No longer do we forgive because it's kind. Now we forgive because it's literally who we are. And so if you are a follower of Jesus today, you need to hear this. You are now, because you've been transformed by God, by definition, a forgiver. And when I say that we need to let go of our identities, I mean this, we need to lay down, let go of who we once were, put it at the foot of the cross, and accept that Jesus now wants us to work towards forgiveness as an impulse, as an instinct. And we can look back at the Lord's Prayer to see this, right? We just talked about this. He says, I want you, every single second of your life, to be constantly obsessed and absorbed with these two things. I want you to pray for forgiveness and for the capacity to forgive. Who you are now is a forgiver. So we need to let go of the pocket change, and we need to let go of our identities. And some of you are thinking in your heads, you're like, man, that honestly sounds 
really hard. Like forgiveness is an impulse. Like have you ever done that? I, I definitely have not. And I want to move on to our third point because I think this third point kind of gets at why this process is so difficult for us. And my third point is this. We need to let go of our baggage. We need to let go of our baggage. The problem, church, is that not only have we refused to let go of our pocket change, not only have we refused to accept or to work towards forgiveness as an identity, as an impulse, as an instinct, the problem that many of us have right now is that we have actually actively taken on new baggage for ourselves, baggage that comes in the form of anger, that comes in the form of bitterness, that comes in the form of resentment. And the reason that I think this point is so important, okay, is because I've been talking about forgiveness for about 20 or so minutes now, and for some of you, all you've been thinking about is you've been thinking about the time that, uh, you know, your spouse forgot to take out the trash last week, or you for, you're thinking about the time that your, your kids scratched up your car playing with their skateboard in the driveway. Or maybe something a little more painful, you're thinking about a time recently that a coworker or a loved one spoke dismissively to you and it hurt, like really hurt. And but as I've been talking, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, he's right, I need to let this go and I'm ready to engage in this process of forgiveness. And if that's you, God bless you, I hope that you do that. But for some of you, as I've been talking for the last 20 minutes, the only thing that you've been able to think to yourselves is how dare he? How dare he tell me that what happened to me is pocket change? How dare he tell me that what happened to me is equivalent to a sum of money that I could just throw into the street and never worry about ever again? How dare he? I mean, can we talk for a moment about the depth of forgiveness that God has called us to? I don't want to paint over or skip over the pain that some of you are feeling in the room today. Some of you this morning have been abused. You have been betrayed in life-altering ways. You have experienced the brokenness of mankind in a way that the rest of us could never begin to understand because as you would say in your words, you weren't there. So you don't get to stand up on stage and tell me that this is pocket change. You don't get to stand up there and tell me that I need to just let go of it or that I can just forget about it and move on. And yeah, yeah, I walk through this life now angry and I walk through this life with this shell and this shield of bitterness and resentment. But the only reason that I do that is because I've been hurt in a way that you can't possibly comprehend. So how dare you? And I want you to know this morning that I hear you and I understand. And I want you to know that if you were to come into my home and if you were to tell me your story, I can promise you that I would weep with you and I would embrace you and I would tell you that there is no sensible justification for what took place in your life. And then I would look at you with all the love in the world and I would tell you, that Jesus has still called us to forgiveness as an identity. And that means that we don't get to draw a line in the sand about where that forgiveness stops because the moment that we do, forgiveness ceases to be an act of identity and it begins to be an act of convenience or of context or of circumstance. And that's just not what Jesus wants from us. 
Now, now there are two really quick things I need you to hear about this when I talk about letting go of your baggage, and they're both really important. The first is this, letting go of baggage does not mean letting go of healthy boundaries. Letting go of your baggage does not mean letting go of healthy boundaries. Some of you in this room have been hurt in a way that that makes you go like, Ben, I, I want to engage in forgiveness. I can't begin to consider trusting that person in the way that I did before. I can't begin to think of even being in the same room as them because they, they like physically endangered me or, or, or they took such a toll on my emotional, my mental and spiritual health that like, I am not sure I can trust them in the way that I did before. And I need you to hear this well. I believe that God has called us to reconciliation where it's possible. And sometimes that process is uncomfortable. This isn't about comfort. God calls us to uncomfortability all the time. But while God calls us to reconciliation where it's possible, sometimes I believe forgiveness looks a lot more like this where we say, I'm going to let go of the pocket change. In other words, I'm going to lay at the foot of the cross whatever right I believe I have to collect on an emotional debt. And I'm going to take on forgiveness as an identity, and I will forgive you, but you and I will not have the same relationship that we once did. Because I care too much about my life and the lives of the people around me to put them in that situation again. Trust has been breached in a place where we can't really go back and redo And so we won't have the same relationship that we did before. Letting go of your baggage does not mean putting yourself in harm's way. God wants you to be safe and he wants you to be taken care of. The second thing I need you to hear this morning is letting go of baggage does not mean letting go of it alone. It doesn't mean letting go of it alone. Psalm 55 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he'll sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. God desperately wants to walk through this with you. And the reason that I make such a point of that that it's not something that we're doing alone is because I've observed in my life and in the lives of people around me that a lot of times this process of letting go and forgiving looks a lot like this. We're carrying this heavy burden of anger and of resentment and of bitterness and we get tired of it because we, it's not sustainable. We can't keep carrying it forever. So we finally set it down and we begin to walk away from it but our eyes are always on it because we have nothing else to look at And inevitably what happens is we circle right back around and we pick it up and we're angry all over again because the hurt's still there, because we haven't really healed. And the difference is walking through this process with Jesus looks so much more like this. Jesus says, I'm over there. Keep your eyes on me. Set your baggage down at the foot of the cross and pray, God, I pray for the capacity to leave this there. And then it's a new day and I keep my eyes on Jesus and I pray again, God, give me the capacity to leave this baggage there. And it's a new day and maybe today I mess up, right? Because this process is difficult and it's painful. I don't want to pretend that this takes away your pain overnight. We're going to mess up and maybe we pick the baggage back up. But the good news is when we do this with Jesus and when our eyes are on him, today's a new day and I can choose today to say that prayer again. Father, give me the capacity to leave this at the foot of the cross. And when we engage in this process meaningfully with Jesus, when we take it one day at a time, inevitably sometimes we mess up, but when we keep our eyes on him and we walk towards him, what ends up happening is that the moments in which we choose to pick the baggage back up become fewer and farther between because we grow in our understanding of how good God is and we understand how much more he has for us. And so the baggage, it doesn't even matter anymore. And it doesn't mean the hurt's not there still. In fact, I would argue there's still probably going to be a scar on this side of heaven for the rest of your life, maybe. 
It, it doesn't mean that the hurt disappears overnight. I can't promise you that, but I can promise you that God offers healing in a way that we can never comprehend or understand. And so we need to understand that we don't walk through this process alone. Now, still, some of you are sitting there and you're saying to yourselves, Ben, I have tried to try, to try, to try what you were describing. And I can't do it. In fact, I, I would bet for some of you it's probably been decades of carrying this burden and this weight with you. And you're like, what do I, what do, I do now? Where do I go next? Why is this so hard? I will tell you why this is so hard. And it's going to hurt at first. I promise this ends in the best news that you ever heard in your entire life. The reason that you and I fail to engage in this process meaningfully, the reason that you and I can't set our baggage down, that we can't let go of our right to collect, that we can't take on identity as a forgiver, the reason that we're unable to do that is because there is still a debate raging in the back of our heads. The jury is still out on a question that should have been settled a long time ago, but for some reason has not been. And the question that is still on the table in your mind and in mine is simply this, is God good enough? Is God good enough? And this brings me to my last point. If we're going to meaningfully engage in forgiveness, we need to let go of the thought, God is good, but... God is good, but, but man, I've been hurt, and you don't, you don't understand how bad it is. God is, is good, but that person does not deserve forgiveness. God is good, but I, I deserve to see justice done in this situation. God is good, but... Well, but what, church, if, if we really believe that God is good, what are we holding back? Because I'll tell you this, when you and I insist on carrying this weight around, insist on carrying our baggage with us, what we are implicitly and many times explicitly saying to God is this, I'm not sure that you're good enough yet. I'm not convinced that you care enough to see justice done in this situation in my life. I don't know if you love me enough to walk with me through this difficult process of setting all of this down and moving on. And you need to hear this morning that that, that debate that you are having in your head, it's a lie. Our God is good. And maybe you're sitting here and you go, Ben, I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive. I believe that God is good. Church, with all due respect, I don't believe we've begun to scratch the surface of the goodness and the love that God has to show us. I don't believe we've begun to realize how much love, how much goodness he chooses to shower us with every single day. And if we could, I believe that we would throw everything that we have at his feet because we would recognize that who he is and what he offers is so much better. Let me show you how good our God is. James 2.5 says this, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? If you are afraid this morning of letting go of the pocket change, of letting go of your right to collect on whatever emotional debt has followed you, you need to understand that our Father offers so many more riches in love and in grace and in goodness. Our God is good. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, you, in which you were following the course of the world, 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. If you are afraid this morning of trying to engage in taking on forgiveness as an identity, as an impulse, you need to hear this, that our God is so good that who you once were, dead in your trespasses, dead where you stood. We sang earlier, it's your breath in our lungs. Church, we are living on borrowed breath, borrowed time, and borrowed life. And still, God has chosen to give you a new life, a new identity. And yeah, that identity means that we need to start engaging in forgiveness. But it is an identity that actually has a hope of eternity. Not just a hope, but a promise. Our God is so good that he offers you and I life every day where we deserve none. And Matthew chapter 11 says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you this morning are struggling to lay down that baggage, and you have been striving and carrying this weight with you for who knows how long. You need to hear this this morning. Our God is so good. He wants to give you real, real rest for possibly the first time in your life. And if we would just be willing to set our baggage down at the foot of the cross and follow after him, we would find something so much greater in the person of Jesus. Our God is good. We need to let go of God is good, but, because there is no but, our God is good. Church, as I reflected on that awkward situation where my wife called me out in the car and she said that I hadn't really engaged in forgiveness, I realized that she was right. And not only that, I realized that I had this choice in front of me and it's the same choice that's standing in front of you today. And the choice is simply this, I could continue to walk through this life angry and embittered. And I could continue to be the kind of person who continues to relive these arguments that he's had because he can't let go of them. I mean, I could choose that. But if I'm honest, in my life, I've experienced that's brought me nothing but pain. And it's brought me nothing but heartache. And alternatively, what I could do is I could accept the invitation of Jesus. Because you need to hear this. As we read this passage out of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, if you forgive others, I'll forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. You need to hear that passage is challenging, but it is not a threat. It is not a condemnation. It is instead an invitation to a new life. A life where Jesus says, you will find something so much more fulfilling in me than whatever it is that you've been carrying with you. And so this morning, church, that's the path that I want to choose. I choose to let go. Will you choose to let go with me? Father God, we come before you this morning. Oh, and we are hurt. We are people who have been through the ringer. We are a people who have been betrayed who have been attacked, who have been taken advantage of, and, and we're just, we're in pain this morning, God. And yet the good news here this morning is that you have offered us a way out of all that pain. 
you have offered us a path away from that into something so much more life-giving, so much more fulfilling, so much more restful. And all we have to do is to surrender to you. And I wish it were as easy to do as it sounded, but God, honestly, from our perspective, here as broken people, that is not an easy process to engage in. And so my prayer for us this morning, my prayer for me this morning is simply this. Would you give us the capacity to meaningfully engage in this process? Father, will you forgive us? And will you give us the capacity to forgive? It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen.